This is John Halsman, and uh, good to be back uh, after having been gone for five days. Here's the Monday Foreign Policy blog. Uh, we took the kids to London, which was a really strange experience. It's my favorite city in the world, as most of you know, but it's a place of business for me, one that I've known since my uh, college days at St. Andrews and know and love it madly. But to see it as a tourist, to see it with the kids, to go on the London Eye, the Sherlock Holmes Museum, the Churchill War Museum, the Tower of London, uh, the Harry Potter Museum, which was, by the way, fantastic. Uh, to do all these things with the kids was amazing and to really feel the bustle and energy of London going with Dan, my uh, good friend and cab driver who I've worked with for 20 years, and showing the kids the magic of London was it was an amazing experience. But of course, work doesn't stop. And while I was there, all hell broke loose. And we see that Boris Johnson finally fell. Um, this is another tremendous victory for the team. And well done to those of you in my firm who've worked on Boris Johnson. We've had this one called for a very long time indeed, that Boris would take on water and when other people said he'd somehow survive, including Theresa May's former chief of staff saying this, wrong, 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 because you had to know more about personal biography and psychology. And so today I'd like to round off Boris Johnson as we begin our week together. And it's great to be back with you all. And look at the day of the narcissist why Boris Johnson fell. And this is an extension of a piece I wrote for Arab News frantically at 4.30 in the morning during my holiday. It was, the, it was the only time off that I had for Arab News and I was very happy with how it came out. So I wanna extend that piece. In the day of the Jackal, the gripping thriller in which the far right paramilitary OAS hires an assassin to shoot French President Charles de Gaulle, Arthur Frederick, author Frederick Forsyth says of his English gentleman killer, uh, like all men created by systems and procedures, he did not like the unpredictable and therefore the uncontrollable. In real life, it was precisely these qualities that did for British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Rather than being laid low by a cabal of others, Johnson has been, been brought down by his own worst enemy himself. And remember, we said six months ago that the key to understanding Johnson is a knowledge of the classics, particularly the Greek philosopher Heraclitus, who said character is destiny. And this has always been true for Johnson. It didn't matter so much what exactly brought him down, but that he would bring himself down through what was inside him, or frankly, through what was not inside him. As regular readers of this, uh, of, of this blog know, and of my column in Arab News know, we have scented blood in the water regarding Johnson's political future for quite some time. Again, this is another political risk call we've gone through with you and gotten exactly spot on, tracking through the time our call well ahead of this happening six to eight months ago, why and about when it was going to happen. So it couldn't be prouder of the team. The political risk key to understanding the outgoing prime minister, more than is true for most leaders, is a comprehensive study of his biography and psychology. For while many are in politics to further a particular, particular ideology, you think of the great British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and Thatcherism as an example, a woman, and I got to know her to my great good fortune late in her life after she retired, she was in politics to do something. Boris was in politics to be someone, and there's a great difference. Johnson, disturbingly in tune with this era of the selfie, seemed to revel in being in the arena only as a form of self-aggrandizement. 
It is entirely predictable that, unlike the recent prime ministerial resignations of David Cameron, Theresa May, or indeed Thatcher herself, all of whom in the end went gracefully, Boris would cling on to power in Downing Street, his fingernail marks still on the walls, as a torrent of over 50 cabinet members, junior ministers, and parliamentary private secretaries quit last week over his careless, sloppy appointment of a government whip with a shady history of sexual harassment, only then to predictably lie about his knowledge of the man's past. Obviously, this is a cornerstone of Boris. When he's cornered, he lies. As a series of senior civil service figures shocked into action, charged that not only had Johnson been well aware of this man's murky proclivities, but that he had personally briefed him about the danger. Meaning, Boris went around saying, I didn't know that this man had this terrible past, and the dam finally broke when a series of civil service officers said, actually the Prime Minister's lying, and the reason we know this is that we personally briefed him on the danger of appointing this gentleman. Caught once again in a barefaced lie, the great dissembler in the end simply couldn't wriggle out of this predicament. For even after the mortal damage of Partygate, when the Prime Minister had been caught prevaricating about attending lockdown parties while the rest of the country was sternly admonished to quarantine, Johnson had learned nothing and surely felt no genuine remorse, either for his baseline narcissistic view that the rules of life are for little people or for his belief that it is always okay to lie when he's in a jam. Instead, in line with these ugly eccentric days, the Prime Minister seemed to feel wronged in being held to any standards at all. For anyone who has followed Johnson's career, analytically, this was entirely predictable. The most telling moment came when Michael Gove, the one truly able man in the cabinet and its big beast, came to the Prime Minister in the time-honored manner of British political culture. The man in the suits come for you in the Tory party. The British Constitution, not written down, but rather a series of centuries-old traditions, customs, and norms, dictates that a figure of such gravitas does precisely this. So Gove was following the playbook of centuries. Gove, long a rival but lately an ally of Johnson, privately, again, he didn't say this in the newspaper, he said it in Johnson's office alone, he privately told him that the jig was up and that the party was in full revolt following his being caught in a lie yet again, and that he simply had to go. As one, dis one dissenting Tory MP aptly put it, placing the incident in the terms of a good evil in Wall novel, Gove offered Johnson a metaphorical whiskey and a revolver and urged him to do the decent thing. But this is a ludicrous error. Boris has never done the decent thing in his entire life. Why would he start now? Instead, he shamelessly drank the whiskey and turned the revolver on Gove himself, accusing him of disloyalty and firing him. Personally, I was unsure whether to laugh or to cry. I wanted to laugh because over these past stormy months, my firm has called the Johnson saga perfectly because of our forensic knowledge of his biography and his character, or lack of it. I wanted to cry because his brazenly selfish actions amount to another corrosion of the political norms that hold the West together. The very notion that there is anything beyond oneself, a cause, the people a leader serves, the country itself, seems increasingly to be a quaint anachronism. Yet without a higher belief, one is left only with the unedifying scene of Johnson pathetically clinging to office like a barnacle on the side of the ship of state, craving power for its own sake. 
It is in this darker context that Johnson's absolutely appalling resignation speech must be viewed. Devoid of any form of self-reflection, the outgoing leader, about to earn millions on the lecture circuit, said that the herd instinct of his own party, who, like gazelles frightened by the wind, had turned on him for no understandable reason. He blithely put his demise down to bad luck, saying, them's the breaks. Not once did he mention his double standard view of a world in which he could turn number 10 into a disco while the British public were unable to comfort family members dying of COVID or his, or his serial lying to cover up his inept tracks. No, an OAS assassin was not needed to bring Johnson down. By far, his greatest enemy was himself. It truly was the day of the narcissist. And this is what brought Johnson down. The danger, though, is that Johnson has corroded norms. And this isn't true just in British politics. You see it across the board. Increasingly, parties are secondary. Ideas are secondary. Doing things is secondary. Policy is secondary. What really genuinely matters time upon time upon time is the self. Again, it's the age of the selfie. And the danger with this is that you don't lead a purpose-driven life. And without leading a purpose-driven life, and I think Lady Thatcher at the other extreme um, of the spectrum in a hugely positive way, I met Mrs. Thatcher, and like all politicians, she had a massive ego. You have to have an ego. You do even in my business. I've often thought how ridiculous it is that I stand there in front of thousands of people saying I alone know what's going on. Whether that's true or not, it takes a certain degree of ego to believe that and sell that. And certainly any politician worth their salt has this ego. But beneath all that, you had a feeling when you met someone like Ronald Reagan, who I met, or Thatcher, who I came to know rather well, they were in it for bigger reasons, for isms, for causes, for helping their people. Boris Johnson may be a charming guy to have dinner with, but as was famously said, you don't want him driving you home. And that's because it's all about Johnson and never about ideas. And if we live in an entirely ideas-free zone, which is where we're heading in the West, we will not solve our problems. And without solving our problems, they will accumulate. History either masters you or you master history. And believing in yourself rather than having a purpose-driven life led Boris Johnson predictably into the ditch where he is. His demise is, is of his own making. As someone Riley said this past week, this is, Johnson is the third prime minister he's brought down. After plotting to destroy David Cameron and Theresa May, he ineptly, but predictably, brought himself down as well. Hope you enjoyed this. Great to be back with you for the Foreign Policy blog. So many of you have signed up. Please, and even when I was gone, we were booming in subscriptions. Please do continue to subscribe. And for those of you who have subscribed, please do give. We're asking for only the price of the espresso I'm about to down, $7 a month or $70 a year. For $70 a year, we can give you the Foreign Policy blog on Monday, the culture section on Tuesday. At the moment, we're doing albums you have to listen to before you die. Tomorrow, we look at the Mamas and the Papas, uh, a very underrated band that uh, made a huge difference in the 60s. On Wednesday, we look at the flagship of what we do, the Around the World in 20 Minutes political risk broadcast. Thursday is my friend J.L. Ryder, who writes on the society and tackles all things woke. And then Friday, Publius, my other great friend who I write and work with, deals with the economics. For all this, we're asking only $70 a year. So please do give and join our community. And I hope you enjoyed 
the Day of the Narcissist. For all of you who love the Day of the Jackal, he does fit into this rubric beautifully. Thanks, and on we go.